This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Sharon Govich with a line slap pass left circle. Elias Lindholm with room shoots. He scores. Miller wins it back. Myers behind the net had his stick lifted by Huberdeau, but Zadorov gets it free. Bounces it all the way down the ice. It's spinning. It goes into the empty net. And I think it might have been tipped. Zadorov's pointing. I don't think it'll be his goal. But he got the shot away from deep in his own end. With instant reaction from the players and coaches. Flames win the draw. Six on four. One-timer for Hannafin. Right circle. Rebound. They score. Elias Lindholm at the near post. All right, take back exactly what I said. Have your say on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks win 4-3, hang on in the third period in Calgary against the Flames. A big victory. They're now 10 points up on the Calgary Flames and an 8-point gap on them. Calgary has a game in hand, but instead of giving the cushion up, the Canucks take the 2 points in regulation, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shah with Bick Nazar. We are going to welcome in Brett Festerling into the discussion in just a moment. You can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650, and you you can also hit us up on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. That was uh, quite the ending to the game. And, <laughs> and we'll see if the goal stands. We'll see if the goal stands. But Nikita Zadorov, as I, it stands, I, has a game-winning goal. I think it's his. Because they so, originally credited to Pedersen. And they changed the switch, just yeah. switched to Zadorov. But we'll see. But nonetheless, right now, because it might change to those listening on the podcast tomorrow. But right now, as it stands, Nikita Zadorov, the game-winning goal against his former team. GWG <laughs> for Big Z. He did it. Uh, man, let me wipe the sweat off my brow from the final Ooh. 85 seconds of that game. Uh, hey, two points. They were the better team tonight, uh, and and they wind up getting their two points. All right, let's welcome in uh, Brett Festerling into the discussion. And Brett, I mean, it's one of those games where it was a bit of a seesaw affair back and forth. You know, I know Bick said he thought Vancouver was better. I thought it was fairly close. Maybe give the edge to Vancouver, obviously winning this hockey game. But uh, that was a white knuckle finish to that third. Yeah, that's just like how you guys draw it up. Just entertaining <laughs> yeah. down the stretch. The dwarf gets the winner. Yeah, that was uh, probably harder than it needed to be, but. A good road, two points. All right. Uh, let's do uh, initial impressions of Nikita Zadorov. We were talking about it in the second intermission. And for me, it just you can just see the step up in class. And not that he was amazingly effective or anything, but certainly the, the tense moments uh, seemed to subside when he was out on the ice, just relative to some other players that we've seen this year. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's a bona fide, you know, call it probably four or five defensemen. Uh, he's got a lot of games under his belt. He's physical. You can just see in certain situations, call it white knuckle situations, like we saw, he's just a little more, you know, experienced, calmer, makes makes more of play. Even if that play is eat it or or hit a guy or whatever it is, it's pretty um, 
you know, he he just does it. And and not to call those other guys out in terms of Friedman, Juleson, those type of players. But, yeah, he is a step up from there. And you saw that tonight if you compare the game against Juleson. Yeah, and I think you know, what it does, obviously, is is give the Canucks somebody they can rely on. And Zadorov was out there for some key moments late in the game. Of course, we mentioned him scoring uh, the empty net goal. And he ended up clocking 17-37, which may not seem like the biggest. But it makes a difference because even in a game that was pretty close up until the third, Quinn Hughes plays 22-40. And Philip Ronick uh, also had twenty forty five. That to me is where you feel the difference. Yeah. Right? So so they didn't have to, yeah. So they didn't have to really run on those guys too much tonight. Yeah, exactly. And you can put them out in situations. In the second, you, I thought they put him out in situations where you might have normally put Hironic or maybe put that pair out. So you you allow the management of their ice time to help you in the third when you're up two goals or one goal at the time. So it just kind of, you, you get to take, you get to put him in situations earlier in the game to conserve maybe like a Hughes and Hirona for later in the game, which is so nice to have. Uh, who's the best line for you for the Vancouver Canucks tonight? Oh, that's tough. That's tough. I really liked, I thought Lafferty on that line did yeah. really well. Obviously they had a good start. I liked that energy. Lafferty had some really good energy. Petey made some good plays. He shot the puck and, um, yeah, and McKeev had some speed. He had that breakaway in the second. There's a couple plays where Lafferty and McKeev are going like the goal, Lafferty's goal. They're driving, both of them driving to the net, which opens up PD a bit. So, um, yeah, and Lafferty got I, – I would say that. That line I was most impressed with. I was really impressed by Carlson tonight. Yeah. I thought he had a really good, solid game. And that that uh, kind of uh, – what were we calling it? The Swedish Swedish House Mafia line? Yeah. They, uh <laughs> They, I thought they played pretty well, and they got some good, um, some good time in key moments of the game. So that that was good to watch too. Yeah, and, and I thought Lafferty, uh, his speed and his forechecking really caused some problems for the Flames defense, and, and just creating a bit more chaos and a little bit more zone time. It wasn't as clean in terms of moving the puck around, but considering how much Pedersen's been struggling and even Mikheyev, I thought kind of having that directness brought the best out of that line. And to your point, I think they were the Canucks' best line too, and they controlled nearly seventy percent of the shots when they were out there. So a pretty strong road performance from those from that trio tonight. Yeah, that is impressive. And one thing that I think is kind of underestimated in putting Lafferty there is he, he's really spon- responsible defensively, and we talked about how he can play different positions. So I think giving Petey a little bit of a break in terms of having to have that center responsibility where somebody will recognize that they need to step in for Petey and, and maybe play that low guy helps out helps out him on the other side as well. Uh, penalty kill. Uh, they wind up giving up a goal here. Uh, well, I guess two technically with the uh, yeah. uh, the goal near the end. Uh, but we'll, we'll cast that one aside. Um, the the backland goal. Um, you know, we were actually talking about in that intermission just the positioning of of the two guys there, Joshua and Myers, as as Lafferty was battling with Connor Zary. Are, are they too high up for you? Yeah, um, Batch and I were going over this as well. It's it's so tough because. So Myers is creeping up. He can probably be a little low. He's trying to cut that just bound, that bank pass mm-hmm. down low, right, that release off. I don't really mind it, and he almost gets back for it. I think, actually, if you break it down, I'd want Lafferty to be a little more assertive when he comes over. He ends up trying to go around right. Zari. Zari makes a really good play. Yeah. I was impressed with Zari. He's been really good for a young guy, and he does a really good job puck protecting, but... I think he needs to be more assertive. Like Lafferty 
four checks all night. He goes stick into puck or stick between the legs, finishes the body through the wall. I think he can do that there. Yeah. He doesn't do that there, and I think he can be assertive that way. And then that sets the tone. Everybody's playing off Lafferty. So if he does that, now everybody's stuck in these middle positions. Because soon as the Canucks get there's a broken play or Canucks get possession, that's, that's the trigger for everybody to go. So essentially, rather than come up the wall behind Zari, come from the middle of the ice and and top outwards, basically. Yeah, either way, get into him a bit. You know what I mean? He ends up on the side, and then it sticks in the air. And then as soon as he gets into him, that gives Dakota Joshua the green light to go over and get on Uyghur. So the problem is he doesn't really get control. You can tell Zari has the control. And then Dakota Joshua doesn't know if he should come help out by being on Uyghur or not, and he ends up being caught in the middle. So I think as a group there, they just need to be more assertive. Lafferty, get into him, get into the battle there. That allows Dakota Joshua to come up to Uyghur and not have that opportunity, which lets Myers be the cutoff, and then right. they shouldn't have anything off that. So it is really hard. if we're, We watched it for kind of three minutes, four minutes, trying, and everybody's kind of in between. I think... The general feel is just be more assertive and allows guys to have the green light to get into bodies and make plays. Well, and I thought the Canucks at times in this game were giving up the scene pass a bit too much and Calgary just missed uh, connecting on a few of those opportunities. Uh, but but I also wanted to ask you a bit about uh, the 4-3 goal uh, that was it Lindholm that scores scores that goal. And I mean, it's, Cadre shoots the puck, it goes off the boards, pops out um, for Lindholm who puts it past Demko and Demko almost makes a save and, and Myers almost blocks a shot and, and some people are criticizing Myers for almost being in the way of Demko but how hard is it to, to defend when the, puck, when the puck comes off the boards off a shot like that and it bounces perfectly in front yeah it's it's so difficult um, oh, are, you, are you talking Lindholm or the last one the last one sorry sorry uh, no yeah the last goal the last goal okay okay yeah that's it's so tough it's so tough and Myers it was, actually a, it was a Hubert goal sorry my, my bad no yes. no no problem but, um, yeah, it's so tough. And, and you used to be able to do that as a set play in certain arenas, but you can't really do that anymore because the, the, the boards are so dead on the bumper. But, it, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how else to tell you. It's just really hard to read off that. You're not really expecting that. I don't think that's a deliberate play. It might have been, but, I mean, it is what it is. I think actually – Oh no, no, that's 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 where I'm at. <laughs> um, and it is a Lindholm yeah. goal. It was credit to Huberto early, but yeah. then given to Lindholm. It's Lindholm's oh, goal. Okay, okay, okay. Lafferty wasn't the only change. We saw Kuzmenko uh, go with Miller. Now they scored uh, in the Vegas game, and so you you run Kuzmenko back out there and just trying to keep an eye on the ice time. Uh, it's fourteen fifty for Andre Kuzmenko gets nineteen uh, calls over the board. Uh, just thoughts on his game tonight. I think his first period was really good. I was impressed yeah. with, yeah, he had a couple good offensive move, moves, opportunities. He seemed to have good energy getting on pucks. Um, late in the game, he has a couple turn. He likes that, like, spin back, right? <laughs> yeah. He kind of screws himself into the ice a few times, and that ends up kind of turnovers in, call it, around blue blue line areas. That's the kind of stuff I think he needs to cut out of his game. That's what talk is mad about. But... As him on that line, I think there was some good chemistry. He had some good offensive moves. He he definitely um, you know created some momentum and some energy for for the Canucks on that line. 
On the back end, um, Noah Juleson is being criticized quite a bit on the text inbox for how he played tonight. Still had about 17 minutes of ice time. I actually played more than Ian Cole tonight, which I thought was interesting in terms of the deployment. Uh, there were some courageous calls late in the game. We saw Carlson out there with the empty net. He ices the puck at one sequence. Well, we saw Noah Juleson out late in the game as well, took the delay of game penalty, knocking the puck out. What, what, what did you make of uh, the way he played uh, in tonight's game? Juleson? Yeah. He had a tough one. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll just rip the bandit off. He had a t- he had a tough night tonight, and then it was kind of icing on the cake there for him to take the extra man. But credit to the Canucks coaches, I think, because they got the win. But they did play some of their depth guys in some very critical moments in the game, especially late in the game there when you had the Carlson uh, uh, Beluger out and Dakota Joshua and Oman was out there on some key kills as well. Him and Beluger have been getting a lot of PK time. So, and then, yeah, yeah, just exactly like you say, Juleson's back out, and then he ends up taking the penalty. I, I commented on it as confidence in those players, and then they get caught out on the icing in the midst, and then they take an extra penalty. So, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to get another opportunity after that, yeah. but... Um, Going back to Juleson, yeah, it wasn't his best best effort tonight, but they got the win. So we'll see how Canucks play that uh, Tuesday against New Jersey. Yeah, what do you think about the the depth guys getting the, the run late there? Obviously, Joshua goes out there with 80 seconds left with Miller and Pedersen, but like Teddy Bluger doesn't go out. I think the, his last shift was a minute 54. Juleson gets the shift with with one minute to go. It, it felt like he was using those guys, and like Sam Lafferty wasn't out there uh, despite being a guy you, you'd expect to be uh, relied upon. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't who I would expect to be out there. But I don't know if, he, if it's more of a test or if he's trying to get guys in certain opportunities um, to kind of prove themselves. Uh, I don't know. But he's definitely given certain guys opportunities. So it's their, you know, it's their chance to run with it. So we'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, we're cer- we'll, we will certainly see. Uh, Brett, it's always a pleasure having you call the game, man. We look forward to chatting with you next week on Saturday when the Canucks play back at home. But uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you. Appreciate you guys, too. Thank you very much. That is Brett Festerling calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor. A lot of reaction, uh, Bick, on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650, or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And some interesting things you are just telling me uh, right between when, when uh, Brett was finishing up his thoughts there, that uh, some interesting deployment decisions late in the game. I mean, we, we went through yeah. seeing Carlson out there who ices the puck, um, and then we also see uh, Noel Juleson takes the delay a game penalty and also one guy who's played fairly well recently and has been getting the praise of the head coach Connor Garland seemed to uh, be stapled to the bench late in the third so after the goal the Lindholm goal the, the 3-2 goal yeah the, the 3-2 goal he was out there uh, has a two-on-one yeah and kind of makes a slow decision doesn't even, a slow decision doesn't even get the pass across to Teddy Bluger Essentially then, turns the puck over because they flames get the puck and go up the other way. And then he's stuck out there yeah. after being a shift in the defensive zone. Winds up being a minute 27 shift. And obviously Lindholm scores. And, yeah. and there's a bit of confusion. Should he have the center of the ice uh, defensively? But then doesn't get another shift after that. Yeah. And it's like it's Linus Carlson goes out. And Linus Carlson kind of had a dreadful offside minutes before there too on the odd man chance with Hoaglander now the icing it's like you kind of have to keep him out there which you know Rick Talk has seemed a bit uh, perturbed that it was even called icing yeah um, but Connor Garland didn't go out there for the final 421 
Yeah, interesting. And, you know, when Kuzmenko's not going getting out there late in the game, right, and, you know, Mikheyev's ice time is being somewhat mm-hmm. managed to this point, it's a bit of a numbers game in terms of who gets out, out there. And that was an in- interesting call by the head coach, but it works out. Canucks win 4-3 in Calgary over the Flames. A lot of thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. Um, Cole Harbor Hayden. Playing Juleson for 17 minutes was a bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah, no, it was very bold. It, it, it really was. I was a bit surprised. Uh, and again, listen, they've won the game. I'm not trying to be critical here. I'm just saying in terms of we, we look back at the game and we look yeah. at the deployment and a player that, based on a lot of people texting in, we watched it, we talked to Brett, had a tough night, but it's it's clear the coaches have confidence in him. I, I know Jesse, Josh, and I think it was uh, Josh and Jeff and Mission or Josh and Mission. Sorry, I, I can't bring it up right now, but it said something along the lines of um, Juleson had a tough game. I don't disagree. Uh, they need to move Myers as soon as possible. He's so bad. Friedman is better, honestly. I don't think that's so, right? And I agree with what Josh is saying at times. Like At times, it's tough for Myers, but when he plays bigger minutes, it's tough. He played 22 tonight. But if you put Mark Freeman out there 22 minutes a game, he's going he's to get eaten up. Absolutely yeah. swallowed up and chewed out. Noah Juleson, kind of similar. It's about, it's about the options that you have out there. And I think when Myers plays too much, there's a bit of an issue. But I thought Noah Juleson tonight, in terms of the deployment, it was curious considering how much he was fighting the puck. Uh, certainly. And, and he winds up getting two shifts in the final three minutes. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, oh, okay, they're, they're relying on, on him in these situations. And just very, very surprising um, that, you know, Ian Cole, um, like these end of game decisions really matter. Ian Cole, I think, ends up getting um, one shift in the final. Yeah, he got two shifts in the final three minutes as well. Yeah. It just, uh, you know, you close out five. Who are they? And Rick Tockett tonight didn't really shorten the bench in that regard. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, guys like Linus Carlson getting out there playing a lot. And this person says the offside was not on Carlson. Hoaglander slowed down. And it, I don't disagree. All I'm it's saying he went on both of them, yes. Because Hoaglander gets the puck and he goes wide instead of driving, yeah. slows down a bit. Carlson's biggest mistake was he never looks at Hoaglander. Yes. He just goes, he just looks ahead and skates as fast as he can. Doesn't have great pace, so he has to be quick. Bit of inexperience, perhaps not watching your guy, but also on Hoaglander. It's just to talk about, you know, what was going on in terms of how that sequence played out and went offside, but nonetheless, Linus, Linus Carlson getting some ice time late in the game. We have other questions around Linus Carlson and on Nikita Zadorov, plus a lot more. We'll hear from the head coach and more of your thoughts as the Canuck Central Post Game Show rolls on. It's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. They'll drop it in again. Lindholm and Miller on the faceoff. Right wing circle in the Vancouver zone. Miller wins it back. Myers behind the net had his stick lifted by Huberto, but Zadorov gets it free, bounces it all the way down the ice. It's spinning. It goes into the empty net. And I think it might have been tipped. Zadorov's pointing. I don't think it'll be his goal. But he got the shot away from deep in his own end. And the Canucks get the insurance marker they needed on a strange one from inside their own zone. It's 4-2 Vancouver. Canucks go on to win 4-3, and that was your game-winning goal. And tonight's play of the game is brought to you by Delaney's OK Tyre Langley, Nikita Zadorov in his first game as a Vancouver Canucks. And as of right now, officially credited as a game-winning 
goal scorer tonight facing his former team in his first game as a Vancouver Canuck. The team he says he grew up watching. Big fan of Marcus Naslin. Big fan of the 2011 team. He, uh, a Canuck through and through. And, you know, we had Danny Huntley on from Play Now Sports before the game. And, you know, we, we talked about our, our picks for the game. And Dan's, Dan had a backdoor cover tonight. Six and a half was over for goals. He took, he took the six and a half over and the Canucks to win in regulation. And that Lindholm goal to make it 4-3 is the one that got him over. That Riccio is just a lucky guy. Just, just, just on fire. But Danny Huntley, before the game, said, I'm taking Zadorov to score a goal. Anytime goal scorer, 9-1 to tonight, comes through and gets not only a goal, but the game-winning goal on, hey, it's a simple play, but you got to dig pucks out and get it out, and he did. I believe the phrase was buying property on Narrative Street. <laughs> yes. And uh, cashed. Huge. Big time cash. Huge. Now, Big. look, there were moments... Uh, that really stood out for me for Zadorov of, of why, you, like, you can see the step up. There was a moment in the third period, I think it's Huberdeau, uh, entering the zone. Now, it's not a blue line zone denial, but as he enters the zone, he tries going wide, wide on Zadorov. And just watch Zadorov just easily pivot and accelerate into Huberdeau and just nullifies the play completely and you just see those plays whether it's you know depth demon around the league they're trying to cut off the path to the post because they know they're going to get beat wide and you find the spot where you can meet the the attacker but this was hey i can shut this play down early before the hash marks and just breaks that play up and you just see the natural athletic ability from zadorov versus you know some other demon and just having traits sat like i think we focus a lot on the height and say, oh, he, he's he's tall, but there's power behind the legs too when he goes to uh, accelerate, and he makes a great play on that one. But you just see, it's are there going to be moments when he fights the puck? Yeah, of course there are, but you, you see it in that moment of where his abilities can best show out. Well, this is why trades do matter. And it, listen, you may not be the greatest overall defenseman, but when you're quick, you're fast. His recovery speeds are good too. Mm-hmm. He's out of the block. He's fast. He's not just, hey, long speed fast. Like his first two or three steps, he can pivot and turn and, and make up a lot of ground that way. He recovered really well on a number of plays tonight. I was impressed with how he played. It, it wasn't an earth-shattering performance, but I think it's also, the way I'm viewing it too with Bick, it's I'm not asking him to be this top two or three defense or even a number four right now. I'm asking him to provide more than what the Canucks have been getting from guys like Mark Friedman, Noah Juleson, those types of players. And I thought tonight it was very clear that it's a massive upgrade on those guys. Now the question remains, how big of a fit is he, how good of a fit is he going to be you know, over the course of the season, long term, and how does that make the entire defense look? But I thought, as we mentioned earlier too, you know, the fact that you can limit other guys' ice time a bit more when you have a guy like him playing more and tougher minutes, it does make the load a bit easier on everybody else. High event player. He was on the ice for four goals tonight. Uh, two each. He was on the ice for the Mikheyev and his goal, obviously, and then on the ice for the Lindholm goal at the end, uh, and also the Backlund goal, okay. which was on the power play. Yeah. yeah. Hey, high event game. Showed some good moments, though. Uh, Didn't get scored on 5-on-5, five five, though, because no, hey, of both power play goals. There you go. The PK... You know, maybe some work. Two for five for the uh, Calgary Flames. Canucks were 0-4 on the power play tonight, including an extended five-on-three where they couldn't cash. But it doesn't matter. They win 4-3. And that was the play of the game brought to you by Delaney's OK Tire Langley. Drive through winter with confidence by switching to Toyo Tires, making tires for your road. Visit Delaney OK Tire today on Fraser Highway in Langley. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. We'll hit those coming up in a bit. Uh, we'll go to the phone boards as well in a few minutes, and we are going to get to head coach Rick Tockett. Uh, before we do that, though, um, 
there's something that you also noticed about the end of the game. We were we've been looking at deployment a little bit tonight in terms of you know we mentioned how Carlson was out there late, so was Noah Juleson to mixed reviews, obviously. Uh, but the coach, the reason some of those guys were out there, you mentioned Garland didn't play for the final four and change of this game, and other guys Kuzmenko having his ice time limited down the stretch as well. But two guys who the team has relied on so heavily this season in big moments, especially when when they want to salt games away in the end. Well, two players, Quinn Hughes and Philip Hironik, who had three assists tonight. Another three-point performance from him. Quinn Hughes scored a goal. But it seemed like the coach wasn't too pleased because how many shifts did they get in the final four minutes? So after the Lindholm goal that made it 3-2, Hughes and Hironik both on the ice for that one, uh, as was JT Miller, Kuzmenko, and Garland. And we talked about uh, Garland already. Quinn Hughes and Philip Hironik just got one more shift after that. That's it. And it, it was a, a buck oh nine, so they were out there for uh, a bit. Uh, Hronik was about uh, um, a minute as well. Although it does look like Hronik got one more shift, they just added it. But nevertheless, um, you know, Quinn Hughes didn't see the ice in the final, like barely in the final four minutes. Yeah, that's an interesting call. And now, as much as that might maybe a message, and we'll hear from the head coach and see how deep it goes. Not a long uh, availability here tonight, but it's one of those things, right? If you don't have Zadorov, do you have the courage to do that? You're probably not throwing Friedman and Juleson out there together, right? Yeah. So it's one of those things where he felt like he couldn't trust them as much and maybe wants to send a message, but he had an option That's a to go call. to somebody else. Don't That's disagree. A big call. But if you're talking about accountability, sometimes you, t- you tell yourself, I- I'll rather go take this chance because I need to send this message or maybe just how you felt these guys are going. But yeah, it's a, bit of, a few eyebrow-raising decisions in terms of deployment here tonight. And again, uh, Kuzmenko didn't get on the ice after that goal. Uh, Garland didn't get on the ice after that goal. Uh, JT Miller got uh, a couple of more shifts after that goal as well. The the 3-2 Lindholm goal. Yeah. Man, just live and die by your guys. <laughs> like it's, it's Quinn Hughes versus Noah Jules and Tyler Myers out there. In, yeah, it's true, but we, well, we talk about accountability too, and we talk about how Pedersen's been held accountable, Miller's been held accountable, Kuzmenko has been held accountable. So it's one, so if you feel like there's certain staples... They scored staples, a goal tonight, though. Sure, Pedersen had three goals, and the coach wasn't happy with it. Kuzmenko's had points, and it's like, it's not this just about that. This is a divisional that. game, man. It's, just, it, it's huge. Well, they won the game, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, And I don't know. Let's to see, his credit. When you win the game, that's fine. I was, a few eyebrow raisers, but nonetheless. Okay, let's take a phone call here before we get to head coach Rick talking. And let's go to Bella Bella, where we have Don on the line. Don, thanks for calling in. Uh, what are your thoughts tonight? Oh, hey there. Yeah, first uh, call of the year here uh Welcome. Enjoy your guy. Enjoy your guy's show all the time. Appreciate um, it. This game was a big point swing in Vancouver's favor. Uh, remember, Susie and Suter are out, and I can't wait to see this team when they're all healthy. Uh, and I got a question for you: Are they done making trades for another D-man, or is Bear on their radar? Thank you. Uh, thanks for the phone call. Uh, that is Don and Bella Bella. All right. Uh, I, I, I'd say... It's still very much active to try to go find another D-man, I would imagine. I would say so. I know people are texting in, too, and saying, um, you know, once the Canucks get Ethan Bear, now you really round out the defense, you get some extra depth, and now you have some choices to make. Maybe then Myers becomes a bit more expendable and maybe doesn't play every day or maybe they move on a trade. They're involved in trying to get Ethan Bear. Patrick Alvin himself has admitted that. However, even if you sign Ethan Bear in two weeks, he's not coming into your lineup in two weeks. When is he 100%? 
how long does it take for him to get up to speed? And then he gets to a point where he can play. Then it, what's what level is he going to be? When he first starts playing, is he going to be a, a clear upgrade on Noah Juleson and Mark Friedman? Or is it going to take some time for him to find his legs and find his game? And that's a bit of a question. So I do think, yes, it'll help the team. And I, I'm all for it. One year, one million or whatever. Do it up, right? Especially when you're in a place where you're trusting Noah Juleson in two shifts in, the, in a divisional game near the end of a game here. 100%. <laughs> So like it, so if we're talking about those types of things it's it's going to take a little bit of while. So I I'd say you can't expect them to come in and play right away, but yes, they should look to sign him. And I would say if the Canucks can clear some more cap space, I don't think they'd be done and, and maybe even looking mm-hmm. to make a trade on the back end. It just depends what money is going out, right? If it's Tyler Myers going out, okay, are you extra aggressive and trying to solve two problems? Because uh, now you, you're going to need another body. But we'll see what happens here um, with uh, adding another D-man there. Yeah, we'll see ultimately what the Canucks do if they are able to pull that off one way or another. All right, as far as the head coach and how he felt about about, about the game, Canucks win 4-3. We have a scoring change, though. Oh, yeah, sorry. I'll, we have I'll a scoring change. It's no longer uh, Nikita Zadorov's uh, So much for the narratives. They're over. All the hype. We're like, oh, nine and a half to one caches. It's a tough It's a tough night for the scorekeepers, I will say, yeah. because they had it as Pedersen, changed it to Zadorov, now changed it back to Pedersen. Uh, they changed... Uh, the the Ronick shift just got added. And then they also changed uh, the uh, Lindholm goal. Initially gave it to yeah. Uberdo, then gave it to Lindholm. Bit of a tough night for the scorekeepers in, in keeping track on who did what. So no longer Nikita Zadorov getting the game winning um but at least elias Pettersson has his 10th goal now yeah it's good it's huge no massive 10 goals for elias Pettersson. uh maybe that helps him get off the schneid a as well in from your own zone how many of those have ever happened and it still counts as a tip in maybe the <laughs> longest tip in goal in nhl history or at least canucks history all right uh great stuff as always uh, we'll get to more of your thoughts but now it is time for the thoughts of the head coach rick talkett after a 4-3 win in calgary coach maybe we just ask you about uh, how you thought the new guy fit in yeah, well, you know it's a hard, hard thing for him. You know, you get traded, and you got to play your team. So, uh, it's nice to get the one at the end there. Uh, it was a game winner, right? Well, they're going to give it to Pete. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, game winner assist. Yeah. You know, I'm sure he's still yeah. yeah. Uh, and just overall, the resilience. I know you're looking for consistency out of your group, but what did you think about the way your group played overall tonight? Yeah, I think we grinded pretty well. I mean, we hung in there. You know, getting that three-one, and then at the end, I think you know. Lost a little bit of composure, a little bit, but I thought for the most part, you know, the resiliency. You know, it was a nice bounce back game after the Vegas game, so got to give the guys a lot of credit. How you you've been there where a player's gotten booed after his return? Like, how do you think he handled that, or like, what is it like to be in that spot? Well, I said it after the I said I love getting booed. It's the best, right? So it means they, you know, means you're doing something right. I mean, um, yeah, he, I, I think it's all part of it. You know, um, Calgary's got great fans, and uh, he kind of laughed about it. No big deal. We've seen this group find ways to reset and rebound. What's the key now to string some wins together and to keep building on that? Yeah, I think just like uh, when there's pressure hits, it's a little more composure. I think that that's what will get your consistency. Um, communicate and talk. I think that at the end there, we are a little bit kind of um, standing around watching. But I think for the most part, um, I think the guys really played hard tonight. And now you got to kind of put together again, you know, our next game against, I think it's Jersey. You know, we got to do the same kind of consistency, but just a little bit more composure. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 4-3 win in Calgary against the Flames. And, you know, mentions on Nikita Zadorov. And it was broken to him as well that Nikita Zadorov did not get the game-winning goal. It's credited to Elias Pettersson. But mentions game-winning assists. And uh, as far as the boos go, uh, classic Tockett. 
Oh, I love that. That's great. That means, you know, I love when I got booed. So uh, he relishes it. Zadorov got a big kick out of it. And we'll hear his, hear his thoughts as well after the game, I'm sure. Uh, get, you know, having his performance against the Calgary Flames. But the coach, very pleased with the game overall, outside of some chaotic moments, as he mentioned late, losing uh, their composure. I, I'm demanding the uh, Zapruder angle on, on who, how they saw Pedersen tips that puck. You want to? Oh yeah. Hey, maybe it'll change again. Like honestly, we've gone through uh, every single emotion on this goal, and maybe maybe by the time we wake up tomorrow, it'll be a different goal scorer. Who knows? I wouldn't put it, put it past the NHL. Uh, nevertheless, uh, some composure in that game. Lacks uh, of composure although, at moments. Yeah, but he, he referenced that they had composure at times. Um, he mentioned there were some times yeah. they lost, but they have moments. They didn't I guess he's referencing that goal. Yeah, which. Uh, he clearly was not happy with. No, very not. As, as, as given by the, the usage near the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but overall, uh, pleased with the performance. Not a lot there from the head coach. But yeah, Canucks get a big victory. So, you know what? Let's kind of run through uh, so how some of these goals happen here tonight. Mm-hmm. Because it, it was an interesting night in terms of how Vancouver generated offense. The chances weren't overwhelming, but they were, you know, there was a few quality chances, of course, uh, that the Canucks were able to convert on. And, you, you know, we mentioned the play of the game, which we thought was the Zadorov goal, which is now the Elias Pedersen goal. But we gave you the breakdown of what happened there. But maybe uh, the most impressive goal the Canucks had tonight was Quinn Hughes scoring the old game opening goal. And, you know, he gets his ninth goal of the season on that pay. Philip Perona picks up his first assist in the game and Brock Besser also gets an assist but we haven't really spoken about Kuzmenko being mm-hmm. on the line with Miller and Besser tonight and they had moments where they looked good and moments where it wasn't quite as good but that shift in particular and I thought their first period was the best period for that line yeah the, the first period I thought was good and in this play like Kuzmenko was so energetic on this on this goal um, you know, JT kind of starts it charging hard at Gilbert, and he kind of does a soft clearance up the wall. And Kuzmenko's sturdy there uh, along the wall on Mangiapane. That forces a turnover. Ronick keeps it in. JT and Brock keep it in on the other side. And then Kuzmenko with some good work. It, yeah. It's you know, operating in confined spaces, getting down below the goal line, trying to push that puck in the slot, chasing after the retrieval in the corner. Uh, and then it just comes around, and it, it's that play that we, you know we we see when the puck comes around from Hronick to Hughes. You know, it, it touches to Brock in the in the middle there. But when Hughes is coming downhill and he receives that pass, he's always looking to shoot. Uh, you know, you talked about in the first intermission, just waiting for that uh, player to come across the face of the goalie, and then he, he shooting does, to the far post. He does that so well. And listen, he's getting some bounces right now, undoubtedly. Right, and the puck is going in for him. He's probably not going to score with the, 20, the the thirty goals or whatever. He's almost on pace for scoring. But hey, I won't put it past him at this point i mean he's he's only 11 away from getting 20 and, and he has what 50 uh, yeah 57 games to go on the season so a lot of time for him here but that play him getting his shot off pick he waits for the right moment to release that puck and it's what it's whether it's the screen coming across and sometimes just waiting for the goalie to to open up slightly so even though some of the shots are not as dangerous the timing in which he releases the puck really is outstanding yeah, and you know we've seen him now pick that corner. Yeah, uh, going far post uh, on that play, and you know he, he's developing a reputation as a, now a goal scorer. Nine goals, nine goals, trying to chase down Adrian Coins, uh, twenty three. <laughs> Can't believe Adrian. I mean, twenty three is a pretty big number. The Canucks don't have a lot of, did not have a history of a ton of points for defensemen, mm-hmm. but twenty three goals is not a bad tally. So 
It's going to take some work for Quinn Hughes to get there, but only 14 behind with 57 games to go. So who knows? A lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. Brad from Nanaimo. Lafferty looked good next to Pedersen again. Kuzmenko looked great with Miller and Brock. I like that shuffling. And it paid off. The coach made a couple of decisions in terms of how the lines would look, and it came up in a big way. Rain Cloverdale says, Thoughts about Demko? He seemed to tweak something early on. As the game progressed, his stance and structure seemed to break down, leaving him very un-Demko-like in positions. And somebody also asked us, what about Demko's play tonight? What did you think about how Demko performed between, between the pipes? Uh, out of position. I think the only one is that Lindholm. It's the, the, uh, the last Lindholm goal? No, the first goal. The first, the, the last. I mean, the the first goal is where he gets drawn out of position. The, the first, yeah, I think that's Lindholm. harsh to, to, to suggest on the on the last. No, the goal. last goal. The, the last goal. The puck goes yeah. behind the wall. I don't. Disc- I, I agree with. I think the only goal, and, and honestly, it's a great. It's great patience by Lindholm as well to draw him out yeah. of the net. The, look, the, but the, that's the, the only one where I felt okay. He he didn't play well. He he went out. To, he thought the one timer was going to come. Overcommitted and yeah. couldn't get his bearings back. Look, the backland one is a, is a backdoor tap in. Uh, I'm not putting that one on him. Uh, the last one bounces off the backboards. It, it's the the first Lindholm goal. I, I think this is more about Sharon Govich making an incredible play. Like sometimes you can give the other the the, the other team credit because they're professional hockey players too. Yeah, it's an unbelievable. Uh, kind of no look slap pass to get it over there to Lindholm. Now the way he pushes off, look, he's he's a powerful guy. Yeah. It's it, and he doesn't really get settled as he kind of comes across. Uh, certainly, you can ask uh, Kevin Woodley later on this week on your guys' show uh, more details about it. But you know, obviously, he gets that one wrong because he's facing the corner than he is the shooter. Yeah, so I think that's the only one I can look at. And again, I'd like, you're right, Get getting an expert, goalie expert's mm-hmm. thoughts on that and whether he did overcommit or not or just a great play by V. That, that's the only goal I can look at and say, okay, you don't see that very often mm-hmm. where he's, you know, where he bites like that and, and looks like he's doesn't have his uh, uh, balance as well as he normally does. But so I, it looked, I think it looked awkward. Yeah, I think it has way more to do with Sharon Govich's past than it does um, you know, Lindholm completely deking out a uh, Demko, it just the, the, trying to change your whole body position and your momentum in, in that manner, uh, tough spot. But I think that's the only one. Yeah, where I thought, okay, maybe you can nitpick Demko. I a thought shot he made, that comes off the backboard. I thought he made a number of that. great saves. Like yeah. we talked about him after the first intermission, he he made a number of big saves, and he's just kind of he he looked centered. He swallowed a lot of pucks up, and there was a few chances on the power play where he didn't give up any rebounds when when Flames players were standing in front uh, trying to get a rebound opportunity. So I thought he was pretty good overall. Maybe the one goal you can quibble with a little bit. What else are people saying on the text inbox, Bick? Uh, six fifty, six fifty. Uh, talking about Zadorov, the unsigned text here. Multiple plays where he just ended a rush with his sheer size and skating ability. Exactly what Talkit wants from our defense. Uh, this one, Steamer 12 uh, in Montreal. Canucks are losing too many puck battles lately, especially in defensive zone. That should be addressed ASAP. And uh, Josh Mission, here's that text you were referencing earlier. Maybe Friedman is a reach, but Myers uh, is uh, behind the play a lot when Susie is back and if Barrett's in. Where is Myers in your guys' opinion? I'd say number seven. So I think Bear has to really get up to speed to knock Myers out mm-hmm. uh, every day. And maybe not just because, not, not necessarily how we feel about Myers' play. It's more about how the coaches would feel and the role he plays. But I do think. If you get to a point where you sign Bear, Susie's healthy, and all seven guys are healthy, then it becomes a legitimate question. But considering that, what, he had the second most highest ice time tonight by the Canucks? Like, he was right behind Quinn Hughes, Tyler Myers tonight? Uh, is that right? 
Sounds right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Tyler Myers was at twenty two oh two tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Second most ice time for the Canucks this evening. So uh, maybe for us, we watch and say, mm-hmm. yeah, reduce his minutes, play him less. I'm not sure the coaches feel the same way. Can I just read this one? Yes, please. Carlson was out there for some pretty key moments, not something you usually see. Is it possible the Canucks are shopping him? You His know what? Second career game, and people are like, "No, no, get this guy out!" Of- no, no, it's not just get. You know, I, I think it's a good question, Vic. Because okay, how often do we see somebody get called up a forward and then get this type of ice time? We don't, right? And I'm not saying they're trying to shop him, but I will say this. <laughs> so great. I will say this. I think this is a year for Linus Carlson where if he feels. He's not getting a chance. Make it or break it kind of situation. He might go sure. back. I do think they're at a point where they want to see what he has. And is he actually an option for us? Or are we going to cut bait? Does he have any trade value? I don't know. But I just love that. It, 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 I get where the spirit of that question comes from. Because I do think if Lena, if the Canucks don't think Linus Carlson's a player and they don't trade him, I doubt he's back in Canada next next year. That's kind of the way Certainly, I view him. Sure. I see him going back to Sweden and playing. So it is a bit of a make or break year, like you mentioned, for him. And... I would say this. If the Canucks don't think he's a player, I hope his value goes up so you can use him at least in, in trade and, and get something for him. Another text about Carlson here. Bonus notes. Uh, Carlson looked awesome. Really interesting to see him out there late. Lafferty looks way better in the top six than PDG, and there's more offensive upside there too. I'm not, I'm not sure Carlson looked awesome. But no, he looked. He had moments. He had good moments. I, I don't know about awesome like a, either. A depth NHLer. Yes. That's true. Look like a depth NHL. I can't even disagree about that. It's a second career game. Yes. Uh, Matt from Edmonton. Niels Hoaglander has the same amount of even strength goals as Nathan McKinnon, yet he is welded to the bench again. Lowest ice time of all forwards. Do you think it's curious that Linus Carlson gets power play opportunities before Niels Hoaglander does? So to the texture's point, I mean, either they well, believe the in is, this player or... The is, they're clearly they, showcasing are, Carlson on power play, too. Are, yeah, are they Cody Hodsoning him? <laughs> uh, okay, so you and I were talking about that. We didn't get a chance to, 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 touch, uh, to touch on it during the intermission. Yeah. With Garland out there on power play, too... <laughs> Are you going to put Hoaglander out there as well? Too small for you? No, I, I wasn't even going to reference the size. I was going to reference, are they going to stand next to each other handling the puck? <laughs> um, you, know and, how, you know how, you know how uh, we talk about uh, Myers and Zadorov together, like a 30-foot reach? <laughs> Carl and Hoaglander was a 12-foot reach combined? <laughs> um, like, that was the first thought I had. Like, obviously, look, I, I, I'd like to see Neil Hoaglander out in power play too as well. But... W- is there a lot of faith in that he's going to be screening the goalie? No, I mean that's that's the issue. Neither it's has it's like but, he's, he's done good stuff this year. Net front, Hoag- and, and I think turning Hoag- in rebounds, and I think Hoaglander shooting the puck decently as well. I, I do think it comes down to a size thing, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm with you. I think what I've seen so far from Hoaglander, and I've been critical of his game many times in the past. But you kind of have to ride the hot ha- hot hand a little bit too. You were mentioning, hey, you you still live and die with your best players. Perhaps have Hughes and Heronic out there more than one shift in the final four minutes. You can say the same thing, not in terms of the high end abilities, but when a player is going the way Hoaglander is going, seven goals on the season, and like Matt mentioned, has as many even strength goals as Nathan McKinnon. Maybe you should try to ride that a little bit, but it doesn't seem like they're 
too enamored by that idea. It's like they're happy having him play nine, ten minutes and, and just doing what he does, whether he scores or not, as long as he's kind of playing relatively safe hockey. The thing is, he's scored like a lot of tippins so far this year. He's essentially doing what Kuzmenko did last year. Well, he's taking all the Kuzmenko tipping goals. Yeah. yeah. So against Edmonton in game two, he had a side net tip in. Against uh, Nashville, he had a uh, slot tip in. Uh, against Edmonton in game 12, there's the rebound on the Laffer, on the Lafferty shot. It's like a three-on-two, yeah. and he buries it as the trailer there. Uh, against Calgary, he gets the one where Myers does that play that Rick Tockett wants to see. Uh, that one's a tip-in. There's a redirect against the Kraken really late in the game. And then there's a rebound against uh, Colorado. So like he's, he's kind of doing the net front stuff. And is that a role that he can play on power play too? I, I really do just wonder if it's a size thing. Yeah, I, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to and the fact that maybe they don't feel like either guy's a real sniper and who's going to shoot pucks on, on, on the power play. But yeah, it, it's a fair question at the very least. We'll get to more of your comments and text messages and we'll hear from Nikita Zadorov and more as a Canuck Central postgame show rolls on and Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify or wherever you you get your podcasts. This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Kuzmenko, far side hash marks. Nice toe drag. Around Osterley, behind the net, centering pass. Miller and Besser were both in front. Neither of them could tip it on target, and Kuzmenko's got it again on the right wing. Back to the line for Hironik. Middle of the point to Besser. Left circle, Hughes towards the goal. Shoots, he scores! Quinn Hughes with a wrister off the left wing. Beats his former teammate, Jacob Markstrom. And Hughes has his ninth of the season to give the Canucks a 1-0 lead. 2-0-3 into the first. Yeah, nice shot, but probably one Markstrom wants back here. Lefty shooting from almost the bottom of the circle. Scores on the far side. Canucks win 4-3 in Calgary against the Flames, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Nikita Zadorov does not get the game-winning goal. It goes to Elias Pettersson. They changed it yet again, and we'll see if they change it again later on. But for now, it is Elias Pettersson's goal, so he gets the game-winning goal. An empty net goal being the game-winner because the Flames made it very interesting. Lindholm getting a second to make it 4-3, but that's how the game comes to an end. We are going to hear from Nikita Zadorov in a few moments' time. We'll take your phone call, 604-280-0650, a toll-free one triple eight two seven five zero six fifty. You can also get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber Text inbox six fifty six fifty. We always like the jokes per sixty. Uh, traditional Souk says Jonathan Dahlin is punching air tonight. Listening to six fifty talk about <laughs> Linus Carlson. Wait, why would Dahlin be punching air? Because they traded him for for Linus Carlson, right? But like what? Because he's. He's playing in the NHL, doing something now. His best friend, Elias Patterson's on the team. I get what traditional soup was laying down. Oh, okay. Is he fist pumping or is he like mad punching? Is he shadow boxing? I think he's mad punching. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. Yes. I thought he was like, Not yeah. celebrating. No, not celebrating. He's like, that could have been me, but it's not. <laughs> uh, 650, 650, uh, this one. In case there was any hate in the inbox, McKayev had Markstrom beat on his breakaway. He just got unlucky and caught the bottom portion of the elbow. Otherwise, uh, hit the hole and it's in. 
Yeah, you know what? You you were mentioning how he's pretty predictable on the power play. It, it, it feels like he shoots a lot on on, on breakaways. He either does the sh- shot or the fake shot drag move. It's like mm-hmm. the one move he has. I've seen him try to go five hole sometimes. Yeah, too. but he shoots it and does that. And I thought it was a bit unlucky. Like that usually trickles in, and it it bounced the right way for Markstrom. Yeah, but I thought McKay had a strong game, and he's had moments the last little bit where he's been really. Um, I'd say behind the off the mark the way Pedersen has been as well and I thought tonight was a far more active game from him and maybe the most encouraging part about that was him chipping the puck and then just blowing past uh, McKenzie Weaker the the activation of the speed was it looked more like what you want to see from yeah. Billy McCabe. Now, mind you he had a bit of a head of steam because he's trying to push out uh, to get to McKenzie Weaker but you you see the natural pull away speed because there was a backside guy that was trying to chase after him as well, and he just never got close. And it was that you see flashes from Ilya Mikheyev uh, of the natural speed. I still don't know if we've seen him really get you know pushed to the full extent of what he can do. I uh, just trying to bring up his PK time tonight. Yeah, it was just like twenty eight seconds tonight. Still not really a feature there at all. No, no, not massive, not yet. Um, we have a lot more reaction on the text inbox. This one here says, Rick Talk is playing too much and placing too much emphasis on toughness. Noah Juleson is still not ready. Too slow. Too many bad decisions. Time. Uh, we, we need somebody with better playmaking ability. Set Willannon free is what it says. And the team has said when Willannon is healthy, he's going to get a look most likely. And we'll see how that all goes um, and whether they want to keep having a righty. Right now, they have three righties in the lineup with Juleson, Myers, and, of course, Philip Hironik ahead of him. So we'll see if they want to get away from that. Now, here's something interesting. I agree. We agree. We've been talking on the postgame show, Brett Festerling, too, and you know Noah Juleson had his struggles. Didn't look great. But sometimes you look at the numbers, too, and they tell a different story. If I were to tell you that Noah Juleson led all Vancouver Canucks players and expected goals for tonight. Would you believe me? <laughs> so tonight, Noah Juleson's no. expected goals for percentage is 82.84. I'm sorry. Hang on. Say that again. 82.84. Expected goals. Expected goals percentage is 82.84 in okay. Noah Juleson's favor. He controlled shots at almost 54%. And as far as high danger score and chance differential goes, 3-0. and 3-0. to Now... Here's here's where the stats sometimes don't tell the full story. Okay. He was on the ice where he turned it over for the two-on-one going the other way. Ian Cole breaks up the pass. Yes. A shot never happens. A shot never happened. It doesn't count as a high-danger chance. That will shift things a little bit. But that's the one, all- that's the one egregious mistake he had, right? One? one? I mean, egregious in terms of a scoring chance going the other way. Now, he turned the puck over. He lost the puck a few times. He took the delay of game penalty. I, I don't doubt any of this. He was out of position a few times. I agree. I agree. But by the metrics, was eighty two point four. Eighty two point eight four. For all the people listening right now, when Noah Jules, or when uh, yeah, when Noah Jules was on the ice, did you feel like there was a eighty two point four percent chance a goal was going to happen for the Canucks? That's wild. Can you like the the, the internet joke is a banana for scale? Can you provide <laughs> another number there that shows like like what's the scale of this one? Give us another D man. Okay, oh, a scale. Okay, all right. So. so I just went over the high end. So Noah Juleson had the highest expected okay. goals for percentage in this game, right? So the player who had the worst expected goals uh, in D-man. this game, D-man in this game, um, is a player that came in at 15%. 15% unexpected goals. Tyler Myers? No. Ian Cole? No. Nikita Zadorov? No. Well, there's only two guys left. It's not good. 
And it's Quinn not Hughes? Philip Hironik, it's Quinn Hughes. So Quinn Hughes' expected goals tonight controlled only 43% of the shots. The expected goals were only 15% in his favor. He was on the ice for zero high danger chances for, but four against. So by the metrics tonight, Quinn Hughes was the Canucks' worst defenseman, and Joel Juleson was the Canucks' best defenseman. I present this with no real comment outside of... Facts only. Facts only. Because I agree, when I watched Noel Juleson, he struggled. Now, I thought Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronik as well defensively have struggled. And we mentioned how the mm-hmm. final four minutes, they didn't get out there on the ice except for one shift. And somebody else texted in and said, hey, these guys have struggled defensively at times. Um, I'm sorry if, if I'm not citing who, who texted that in. It's a good thought, and, and it's not unfair, and, it is, and it's not incorrect. And I think that's part of the reason why the coach wasn't quite as enamored with playing those guys heavier minutes down the stretch. And the fact that Philip Hironik tonight only played over, over, over 20 minutes. And hey, you want to you wanna, you know, spread the minutes out? You had Zadorov, that helps out. But him playing Juleson, maybe they felt like he was better than we thought. And also maybe a sign of how they felt Philip Hironik and Quinn Hughes were not at their best defensively tonight. It's bold. It's bold. Uh, we had, we didn't really talk about that goal that we referenced so much to the Lindholm goal. Uh, we, you know, we talked about how Demko played it, but just in general, you you watch this whole play. So Garland has got the two on one, makes a slow decision, and it, it winds up going back the other way. But then you, you kind of watch the rotations on this goal. It feels like they get a couple all sorts of wrong here, and and maybe this is why you know Rick Tockett was so severe with with how he doled out the minutes the rest of the way because uh, certainly didn't like how some of the players played this. Um, because it's such a scramble as they're trying to get back into uh, the, their their shape and, the, and, and their setup uh, in, in this whole sequence here. I'm curious, like, who they feel is at fault. Because JT does work to get back. And then you can see JT, like, trying to wave to everyone. At one point, he's waving to Garland as soon as they get across the, the blue line. And he's kind of signaling to Hronik as well to to peel down low as uh, I, I think it's Ruziku who gets the puck. And yeah. it's it's just a lot of movement and chaos. And, and mind you, Hronik gets dropped behind the net uh, as well on this play. And, and they're all just trying to signal to each other. And it, it's, 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 it's a bit of a mess. It is a bit of a mess. The coverage at times. And the coach also mentioned that they had moments they were chaotic. They weren't playing as clean, right? And, you know, I think that, that's part of the issue here. Um, and, and as far as the stats go, uh, Nanaimo Moj says, Sat, great case case that some at metrics suck. Sat, it's too late at night to be talking nerdy like this. Um, <laughs> and this one here says, Juleson is the prime example why I don't love these analytics. And honestly, and I'm not going to sit here and say this is the reason why we dismiss an- analytics. We don't. We do incorporate them. But this is part of the reason why I... I always roll my eyes over people making these declarative statements on game stats sometimes mm-hmm. and not taking full, the full context and the fact that not every scoring chance is equal. The best scoring chance the Flames had in the game came off the turnover that Noah Juleson mm-hmm. had. And that doesn't even count as a scoring chance. So that kind of shows you the problem and sometimes they're invaluable. They tell a part of the story, but not always the story. And in moments like this, you can really see the discrepancy. And I just thought it was interesting to point that out. All right. What else, what else are people saying on the text inbox pick? Uh, 650, 650. Andy from Langley. Uh, where do the Canucks draw the line on Myers? Another bad penalty. Takes out Demko in the 4-3 goal. Way too much of a liability to be playing those minutes. Oh, look, the 4-3 goal is... Just off the backboard. He spoke to Brett, Brett Fesserling yeah. about this too, and he essentially said it's it's a bit of bad luck. It's the puck just bounces. The thing with hockey is sometimes the puck is going to bounce and go certain ways, and there's not much you can do. 
So I have a hard time getting too upset about anybody on that play. Uh, but as far as drawing the line, like I still think you're just going to drag this out till at least, at least January, uh, probably February. Because look, the the thing we've referenced too is if if is is he a guy that's uh, a candidate to be you know fifty percent retained come deadline? And if you do that come uh, the end of the season, it's like a hundred grand for someone to take on cash. That's it. Like, the, the, there might be some value in that. Now I know it's three million dollars cap hit and all yeah. that sort of stuff, but it's it's fairly cheap for someone to take on at the end there. Yeah, no, it's not too bad, and I think that's something that can work out. Um, and it really depends on a couple of things. Do they add somebody else? How healthy are they? And does somebody make it worth their while enough that they pull the trigger on something like that? And I know people don't want to hear this. I don't think an extension is out of the question for Tyler Myers. I'm not one the one making the decision. I'm not saying he's going to sign an extension. I'm just saying I don't think it's out of the question with Tyler Myers in Vancouver. People already white knuckled the end of that game. Sat. <laughs> what are you trying to do to the Saturday nights? Hey, all I'm doing is passing along. Sure, that's all. And I'm not saying he's coming back for sure. I I don't think it's a foregone conclusion he's getting traded. That's all I'm saying. It's not a foregone conclusion. But what you hope is that they get healthy. They sign Ethan Bear, and that you see other options that you feel good about maybe making him expendable. That, that's how I would go about it. You and I are on the same page here. If you can move Myers, you do it, especially when you get healthy. But we'll see if the organization does have that plan in mind for themselves. We'll get to more of your thoughts on the text inbox. Let's go back to the phone boards, 604-280-0650. And let's go to Vancouver, where we have Reynolds on the line. Reynolds, thanks for calling in, pal. Uh, what are your thoughts tonight? Uh, well, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. I'd like to say it's great that the Canucks won for three, but uh, what does it all mean if they can't get a first-round draft pick or maybe a Norris-caliber defenseman or a Stanley Cup? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Reynolds. I'm, I'm a little, I was a little confused. So what was it, a first-round pick? A bit confused on that one. Yeah, I'm a little confused. A little confused. Uh, they have a first round pick this season. They do. Um, they had a first round pick last year. Um, they may have a Norris defenseman mm-hmm. in Quinn Hughes. So uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. We'll move on. We'll move on. All right. Uh, onward, onwards. Uh, this person says, "Would you be open to bringing Myers back on a cheaper deal, perhaps two times two, two million per year, two million over two you years?" You should see the smile Sat has, guys, right now. <laughs> just, just his evil lair, twisting the mustache, just like, <laughs> what have I started tonight? Uh, yeah, they, I, look, they, look. A, a lot of the conversation around Tyler Myers surrounds the idea that's like, oh, this guy's not worth six million dollars, and it's valid and it's fair. And if he's making two million dollars, does it warm up to a lot of fans? Say, look, he can play like a two million dollar D man. I, I don't think he's going to change his style of play all of a sudden. It's it's really just like how much do you trust that at two million dollars? He's a functional two million dollar D man, and right handed D men are just impossible to find. But I also just wonder if this is like to me this experiment is over. I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm I think when you can get to a point where you can make a clean break 
and maybe you can get to a point where you can get an asset that can help you get something else. I just think just you just got like they this did with far. Bovillier. You got this far. Take advantage of it. You know, and, and it's almost like the Luke Shen thing, but not quite right. But he's a guy who came for free for two years, pretty much, and then worked himself to a position where you got a third round pick for him, and you weren't willing to sign him to the contract he was going to get anyways. You didn't want to give him two point seven five for three years, like you got from Nashville. So you say, God bless you, go and have success. And it's kind of like if you can get to the same point here where a guy becomes an asset for you and you can still improve your team in other ways, that's how I would view it. But it's one of those things. There's scarcity, especially for big right-hand defensemen, guys who can play minutes. And I know people roll their eyes and say he can play minutes, but people in the league feel like he can. And that's why guys like him, just like guys like Goodbranson, will keep repeatedly getting opportunities. Four by four there for, yeah. for Goodbranson. It's, it's honestly like... You get to like the fiftieth best D man in the league, and you're looking at like Nick Perbix and Connor Clifton and your boy Ty Emerson. Like it, that, that's honestly what happens. I, just just look up the right handed D man across the league, and you need ninety six of these guys. Yeah, and there just aren't ninety six that are available. I, I, I don't disagree. Traditional Souk, Bick cuts sacks Sats Mike for gaslighting fans with a Juleson and Myers troll job. I'm not trolling, and Eddie is okay. <laughs> cut my mic off. No, but I'm not trolling. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because I think it's funny. Yeah, but it's one of those things. And I only brought the Juleson analytics up to talk about what the yeah. numbers say versus what we saw, and just to kind of talk about the discrepancy. That's all. Dude, just one more thing on the Myers resigning thing, though. And there's this text here: Zadorov looked decent. I think we resign him as a replacement for Cole next year. So what's going to be interesting is they're going to have to break their rule of hey, lefties don't go on the right, righties don't go on the left, yeah. right? Assuming everyone's healthy and they have Hughes, Cole, Zadorov, Susie. Someone's going to have to go on the right. And if it happens to be Zadorov, which is probably the most likely candidate since we saw the other three lefties uh, on the on the left side, if he has success on it, you know who, whose profile he kind of does replace? Tyler Myers. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a Zadorov resigning, do you just look at that and say, hey, we'll, we'll downgrade from 6'8 to 6'6 and we get to Nikita Zadorov because he put with Cole and that's kind of the pairing that we want. So that to me would be the interesting one is if Zadorov flips over to the right and has success doing it. Do you then say, hey, we have proof of concept of this working. We're comfortable re-signing that one. Then we can explore the Myers trade. That's that's how I feel, too. It's Do you have an option? And, and I do think out of their lefties that can play the right side, he's the most comfortable. He played a lot growing up in Russia as well and, and also through other years. Not a ton in Calgary, but he's played it previously in his career. And I think you're going you're gonna to get a... When you get Susie into the lineup, big, you have to play him on the right side. One of them has to go on the right side. You're not going to be playing Friedman or Noah Juleson over Carson Susie, Nikita Zadorov. You're not doing that. So those mm-hmm. one of those guys will end up playing on the right side, you would hope, if and when they're healthy as a six-man unit. A lot of people texting about Tyson Berry. I know it was mentioned yeah. tonight by uh, Frege on uh, uh, the Saturday headlines that they've been given permission with his agent uh, to seek out a trade. The, the profile that I'm looking for, not that Tyson Berry is a bad option, but the profile that I'm looking for is right-handed puck mover that kills penalties. You, he does not kill penalties. You don't need a power play guy, right? You've got Quinn Hughes. You've got Philip Pronick. Worst case scenario, if Hughes is injured, Heroic incredibly fill in, absolutely, on the power play. For me, the, the, the thing that they have to find, especially given the state of the penalty kill right now, is more penalty-killing options. Mm-hmm. And, again, I, I know I just kind of did a Frankenstein, like, perfect monster. What you're trying to create is like, oh, puck-moving right-handed demon that kills penalty. It, they're, they're hard to find, yeah. obviously. But 
that to me is the profile of what you're looking for. Tyson Berry, for me, like he's a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, just he just doesn't fit that mold. No, uh, he doesn't. And if you think Tyler Myers is bad defensively, Tyson Berry may hold your beer. <laughs> may hold your beer. <laughs> like yeah. it's, you know. It's just one of those things. The Oilers shows Evan Bouchard. Be like, we think he's better defensively. <laughs> yeah, well, and, yeah. I mean, and Bouchard's better offensively, too, I think. I mean, Barry has some positives in his game. He moves Absolutely. the puck well. He skates well. Defensively, is a bit of a disaster. Doesn't PK. Again, I'm not against any right-handed defenseman who can play for the right price. I just don't, I also don't see an avenue. Okay, would, would I do this? Would I trade Barry straight up for Garland and get that money off the books the next two years? I would. But I don't think Nashville's doing that, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, he's got 50, 11 million owed to him the next two years combined, but 5 million on the cap essentially next year and the year afterwards. Would I do that swap? I would. Because it's not so much about I take the downgrade in the player to get the cap flexibility a year from now. And even if you bury, uh, bury, you clear 2 million in cap space compared to what Garland's at. So it gives you some options. Like I'm not against doing something like that. But outside of a move like that, which I don't even think Nashville would make. Mm-hmm. How are you trading for him? You don't have the space. Yeah, it really doesn't fit. Even uh, if you retain it at half, really not enough space. Uh, 650, 650. We, we've had a couple of people text in about uh, Thatcher Demko as well, um, that he was flexing his leg a bit uh, after he got... Uh, By Coleman? Yeah, a little bit of a collision there with, with Coleman. Uh, did you guys notice anything? Um, now, the earlier text, too, about being out of position, uh, I'm going to lose the text here. I, I apologize. I think it was from Ray in Cloverdale. Um, sorry, I wasn't suggesting Demko was at fault for his goals, but the positioning, I'm concerned he may have tweaked his groin, wasn't placing his pad. I think the right one is flat on the ice, as he usually does uh, on a few scrambles. Need to see some replays. Certainly something uh, you know in real time here, Ray. It's a good observation if that's what your take is. Um, I'd have to rewatch the replays here. It's not something I was... I thought he moved fine after the, the, the collision. Yeah, I thought so as well. Um, but one of those things you'll track. We'll see mm-hmm. ultimately coming up on Tuesday if he plays and what he looks like in practice on Monday. But we'll see if that if that ultimately happens. Uh, yes, thank you for all the texts that are coming in. Like a right-handed demon that can kill penalties and make plays? Chris Tanev. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But again, do you want to shop in the rental market? Again, it's very specific profile and I have where I'm limiting options, but such is the realities of the assets that they have. Oh, you know what? Uh, there's one comment here. Move Myers, acquire Tan of ASAP. You know, we'll discuss some of those things as other text messages, and we'll hear from Nikita Zadorov as the Canucks Central postgame show rolls on. Canucks win 4-3 in Calgary over the Flames. It's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Five seconds left in the power play. Pedersen picks it up at his own blue line. He'll accelerate to center. Splits the defense. Passes right side for McKeon. Protecting the puck into the corner. Goes to Pedersen behind the net. He'll lift it back to the point. Hironic tried a one-timer. I think his stick broke. Got it to the goal. There's a rebound. They score. Side to the net. Ilya McKeon and Pedersen were both there. And I think this will be McKeon's goal to give the Canucks a 3-1 lead with just 27 seconds remaining in the second. Or will it be Pedersen's? They can't decide. They're talking about it down on the ice. <laughs> Celebrate harder and you'll get the get the goal. That's what I do for the rest. It was ultimately Elias Pettersson's goal, we think. 
It's been changed so many different times. We don't know. We'll find out. One of these days, we'll know for sure. Maybe by tomorrow. Maybe when you're listening, you might know for sure. Maybe not. I, I finally do have a Zapruder angle of it. Does it look like Pedersen gets it? No. No. Like the, the, the puck is already starting to dip before it reaches Pedersen, and it does take a bit of a decline towards the ice uh, on Zadoro's clearance. But I, because the angle, it's like low to the ice and, and all the way at the end, uh, the, like the flames end, I, I can't see if Pedersen does actually tip this. No. All right. Uh, but he gets the goal. That's, yeah. that's what he gets the goal. And Hussein from Coquitlam says, still not the best game, but Pedersen looked much better tonight. Was controlling the game the way you want to see him control it. Also, an unpopular p- opinion, but Lafferty looked great with Pedersen and Mikheyev. Wouldn't mind keeping him together for two to three more games. I would say that line, and this is the Canucks Central Post game show, 4 3 Canucks win in Calgary over the Flames. The Lafferty, Pedersen, Mikheyev line was the Canucks' best line, and I think they'll be together the next game. How long that lasts remains to be seen, but certainly enough for them to. Yeah, at least get the chance again next game. Yeah, no, I thought overall Patterson was really good. I, I was a little annoyed. Again, it ended up being the, the goal that Lafferty scores. Yeah. But you go through that whole play. Patterson takes a pass from Ian Cole on a bad change by the Flames. Or the Canucks capitalize on a change. And he cuts right to the middle of the slot in the rush. And you think, this is your chance. Shoot it. And he doesn't. He's wide open. And he ends up like skating to the side wall, makes a pass, and gets deflected into the corner. And you just think, those are your opportunities. You're a star player. Yeah, take those shots. And like all these concerns about his, you know, ailments. And you think, but you know what? He, he I don't disagree. But tonight, the one timer he got off on the five on three, and the Canucks five on three. I know they didn't score, but they created mm-hmm. three great chances. One was Pedersen ringing a shot off the post. It clocked in at 94.8 miles an hour, which is a lot more in line with what he usually shoots the puck at. A tick or two higher. Yeah, and then Kuzmenko had a chance, and so did Miller. So I thought they created chances that didn't capitalize on the five-on-three. But at least the shot looked like he had a bit more power in it. And I'm with you. I want to see him be a bit more assertive as well. Uh, but overall, like, yes, much more encouraging. Point, to Hussein's point, he's right. And especially coming off of that Vegas game yes. where, you know, the, the, there was pinball activity there from uh, Elias Patterson, much better throughout the course of this evening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were talking uh, about Tyson Berry, people mentioning how Elliot Friedman said he's available via trade. His agent has been granted permission to seek a trade, and if it could be a fit in Vancouver. And Austin and Langley said, didn't Dom compare Hughes to Berry, LOL? As he, I think he's talking about Dom decision. who's still mm-hmm. catching strays every time on the Vancouver Connect won a hockey game at this point. Um, Keith from Poco, nice Zapruder. Zapruder reference, Bick. Yeah, made it a couple times tonight. Yeah, that's a few times, a few times. A few times. You've got to get some fresh references. <laughs> Dated references. Um, Mike and Tawasin Zadorov will help stabilize our D past Christmas. I don't disagree. And somebody says Bear versus Myers, who is the more likely we mentioned to be mm-hmm. the seventh defenseman. But let's see if they sign Bear. And somebody says if they sign Bear, what's the point of going out and getting Tanev or, or whatever? But I wanted to get back to what's more somebody, good D men. Yeah, I mean, have seven of them. Why not? Especially yeah. here's the thing. I, and I mentioned this before, and those who've heard me know, but if Bear's repeating, who knows you? Ethan Bear at one million mm-hmm. is a much better option to have as a depth option. Even if he's your, even if he's your number seven defenseman, who would you rather have? Ethan Bear, Noah Juleson, or Mark Friedman? It's pretty clear, mm-hmm. right? So that's why, no matter what, I'm for it. I have my questions about Ethan Bear as a guy playing higher up your lineup. I'm not enamored in giving him term and long term deal and, and money, big money. I had my questions about him last year, even Ethan Bear. But nonetheless, for what the price. I'd be all for it. 
Somebody asked, what about moving Myers and acquiring TANF? I don't think you can do that ASAP, but who knows? I mean, uh, the way uh, Patrick Alvin and Rutherford are making trades, maybe just maybe they can. I I told uh, Dan Reacher earlier this week, I'm usually the Grim Reaper when it comes to trades. I'm like, hey, trades are going to take time. You know, everybody Mm -hmm. gets ahead of themselves. I've I, I'm I'm retiring that for the time being because right now I'm not going to sit here and say what's well, going to these guys are pulling yeah. trades off it's going to be harder with what they have to deal with now I, I will say rare circumstance where four billion dollars just opens up across Precisely. the league where, where but you still take, gets, but you still have to take advantage yeah and other things will come available things will happen and these guys are Johnny on the spot they have been so far so I'm not going to put anything past them I think if you're moving Garland out it's tough. We've gone through the contract so many times. Somebody asks, is he still on the trade market? Is he off the market? I think it's more about there's no market, you know, whether he's on or off. I think there's no market for him. And I think that's what's driving it. Because if there was, I still think there would have been something done there. But the only way you can get, go out and get somebody is if you move an expiring contract, really. And that's Tyler Myers. At some point, do you get to the stage where they feel like they can get an asset for Myers and use that asset like they use the, the pick they got for Bavillier to acquire Zadorov? If you get a second for Myers somehow if you retain salary, can you use that and something else to get Tanev? That, I, I wouldn't put it past them to doing something like that at some mm-hmm. point if, if that opportunity arises. But then you have to go find another right-hand D-man. And again... But if you do, if you do, if you Myers, if you're trading Myers and you get Tanev, though, yeah. like I'm just saying, if you use those yes. assets, then you're replacing your righty for a righty. And, and Tanev would be on a list of of guys that might be available, and you know, you, you compile these lists. And, and look, I, I've got names that I'm keeping an eye on. That hey, is this guy available? Is this guy like how, what's his minutes right now? And people text in like Fabro, was he a scratch? Yeah. He's playing forward. What's the scenario? Like there are guys. It's just also some players that are, are teams actually going to move them. Yeah, like again tonight. We talk about Tyson Berry. Well, okay, that's a right-handed D-man that's out. Is that an opportunity for Fabro to get some more minutes there? And they're in the playoff mix. Are they going to, because of the scarcity, how many teams are going to be willing to move them right now at the start of December? Check back in in February. The, the landscape might change. Yeah. Suddenly, uh, a Nashville might be out of it. Calgary might be out of it. Um, you know, Chicago, maybe they're like, hey, someone can take Connor Murphy. Now, that one's a bit different, but just talking about right-handed d-man there's not a lot that are available no um, it's does, a sc- it's very scarce does does toronto if they move or if they get a tanev do they try to move out with a timothy lilligren kind of scenario well the last year they acquired some defense and moved out uh sandine Rass- 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 yeah. went out and got jake mccabe and some other guys so if seattle doesn't improve does will borgen become available <laughs> you keep I, I was waiting for you to bring up will borgen that it's dude can roll guy. man if, if if the canucks ever trade for will borgen i'm gonna I be mean, unhinged it's gonna be ridiculous it's gonna be ridiculous uh, as far as Alvina management is concerned, getting some praise on the text inbox as well. Uh, this one here says, yes, acquire rentals, winger and D. Have you guys noticed how many expiring deals Alvin has acquired or signed? He's going for it this year while leaving options totally open in the summer. Hats off to Alvin. Not nearly enough credit for the job he is doing in both areas. I am so impressed with somebody texting in and giving love to uh, Patrick Alvin. And I know we've spoken about, hey, don't live in the rental market. You only have so many bullets you can fire now. I'm floored at the cost of acquisition for uh, 
for Nikita, for Nikita Zadorov. I thought it was prohibitive because I thought the, they would they would force Vancouver to pay a second and more. Absolutely. And if that's the case, I wouldn't. I want to know part in it. Now a future three 2026 in your current fifth rounder that you just got. Like, honestly, whatever, pay that. Yeah, we'll figure. But that out. I, I think that's like rare circumstance. Guy who's disgruntled, team that's in the playoff mix, and they, they wanted to clear out some money. Other teams wanted to the Flames to retain. I, I feel like it's a perfect storm to that one fall into your lap. So that one I'm cool with. But in general, I, I think teams are going to be a bit stingy, obviously, and unless more of these opportunities creep up with guys, you know, demanding trades that are credible and, and fit what your team needs, I, I don't know if you can live in in the like second round pick, uh, first round pick prospect style. Trades. No, you're not there. I think you can improve your team and make creative moves if you're shifting guys out and doing it. Uh, but I don't think you should be at a place where you're spending real assets for rentals. For somebody who can stay here longer term, that's a different story. This one says, let's saddle up on a Chris Tanev at four and, and a half million until he's 37 years old I dump, and dump money to get rid of Myers. I do feel trolled. All the freestyle is probably why I love the post game uh, the best. And, and you, I'd say the only way I'm okay with a Tanev signing is two years of like three million or something. Like if we're doing four and a half, you know, five, it's like, no, no. You, can't, you can't go in there. But it, especially when you start, you know, my, my old theory is you can't. The, the the old phrase is you can't pay for for bullpen pitching yeah or don't pay for bullpen pitching just acquired as you go along I think the same thing for penalty killing you can't overspend for penalty killing you want to get the right guys and go out and acquire them I get it but you don't want to be over aggressive and you start paying PKers you know six million dollars five high fives I, I think you start living in a world where you're like oh, I don't know if we really got the right one of this because you, you go across the league you know the the guys that get big money d-men that don't feature on the power play or something like that those are the ones that teams always end up regretting yeah exactly and that's something you have to uh, step step away from tyler from langley we guys can do a quick d power ranking interested to see where zadorov fits on this team well i mean it's i think uh, so we'll get to zadorov's audio in a second but he was in heronic go number one two Mm -hmm. who's number three by deployment it's cool yeah and I'd say I I really like Carson Susie. I like Susie's game a lot. Yeah. I like Susie's game a lot, and I was a bit skeptical on. I'll how, go Cole because there's a an obvious role where he's going to win in. Right, and I'd say it's Susie then Zadorov. That's yeah. how I would go about it. Probably comes in at number five, maybe four. Now I like the you the other day of of actually like it, it's it's one thing to be the the number one D man. Yeah. Are you actually do you actually have the traits to be the number one D man? Hronik's obviously number two, but I. I don't know if he's a true number two. Yeah, he's like he's, a, maybe a three, two slash three. Yeah, he's like a tweener two three, right? He's still really good. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that's awesome. Yeah, um, especially when you're right handed, it, it, it's more valuable, obviously. But you know, Cole's probably like a three four. Myers is probably a five six. Susie's probably a four five. Zadorov's probably like a lower end four five. I, I would love if they just got one more stud number two type guy. Well, if they got a two, then it's. And, and you might be one of the better deep cores in the league all of a sudden. And suddenly everyone just kind of – you don't have to do the tweener thing anymore right. because they're like, that guy's a two. And he doesn't have to play with Quinn Hughes or you know, run his own pair. He could run his own it's pair. It's like having Shea Theodore and Petrangelo. I mean that's, that's really – it's a hard high Perfect. bar yes. obviously, but, but that's what you're talking about. I mean that's what teams should be trying to uh, – Aspire to acquire yeah. those types of players. Because honestly, like how many true number one D-men are there? There's like – now in the league there's more – there's like maybe 10, but that's pretty much it. Because you go through a list. I, I, I might go a bit more, but it, we again, might, it's, yes. it's probably like maybe 17. Maybe a dozen, 17, yeah. and there you go. I mean, yeah. I just threw a number. 
We'll do the math Sub-20. one day. One of these days, we'll do the math. All right. Before we get to uh, Ian McIntyre, we mentioned Nikita Zadorov. He's been great meeting with the media already. Here he is post game after beating his former team Calgary in his first game as a Canuck. Nikita, what, uh, what was tonight like for you? Weird, fun, lots of mixed emotions. You know, I mean, it was kind of weird to skate on that side of the ice for warm up, but when the, when the game started, you know. It's, uh, Start focusing on the game, make some plays, you know, just enjoying it. How did you like the way you, the play, the way that you played, and the way you fit in, game one? Yeah, good. I mean, I had a few days off, that kind of hard under altitude, so gotta get back in shape. <laughs> were, you, were you surprised about the reception or the booze, or what were you like thinking on that? I mean, I'm gonna miss country roads definitely. I think Calgary <laughs> has a great fans. Let's leave it up there. Game winning goal. I didn't score. Yeah, no, Pedersen touched so it. Pedersen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They you were trying to point out in the seat. You scored. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. I mean, what have been fun? I mean. Win is the most important, right? So, is that, is that a type of game where you have money on the board? Like, how's it work internally? You can ask Nazem how much money on the board I put up. He knows. <laughs> hey, what was the best thing that you could share with us that you heard tonight from one of your from one of your old teammates? They were chirping, yeah. so it's fun. And what in what way? Uh, we we'll leave it up there. You know, it's it's, it's in between us. I mean, I, I love them to love me, so it's a it's a mutual relationship. You know, so I think I had fun playing against them today. With all the build-up, how good does it feel to, to get the first one out of the way and then be able to really get this going with the new group? It feels great. I mean, it's important win for this team. You know, um, the last last couple, you know, it's it's a big road game. We play a really good hockey team on the road, and we stuck with it. We all I think all the boys played their asses off today, so it's uh, it's definitely a nice uh, starting point of my career for us, the Canucks. How is it playing with Tyler again after a decade that's played since with him? Yeah, he's a good player. He makes really good plays. I mean, he's been in the league for so long, almost a thousand games. It's a, it's a pleasure to play with the players like that. Uh, yeah, we were joking before the game. Gonna run it back, so hopefully we keep going in, in the right direction. And now you get on a plane, you go back. Are you gonna jump in on a poker game? How does this work now? Well, I don't know. It's a new team. I gotta earn my spot at the poker table. <laughs> is, it, is it gonna be nice to kind of get out of here, get this one? It's behind you. You can does it feel like you can really move on. Yeah, I mean those past couple of days were pretty emotional, so I'm, I'm glad now it's it's in the page. You're packed or ready to go? I'm gonna miss you guys. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That is Nikita Zadorov, uh, 11 with the local media uh, after his 4-3 win as a Canuck over the Calgary Flames and meant some of the chirps, all in, all good natured it seemed. Didn't tear up into like, I promised Tanev I wouldn't do this. <laughs> he did walk over to uh, Backlund, who was doing an interview yeah. on After Hours and give him a big hug while he was chatting with mm-hmm. Scott Oak. So it uh, didn't seem like uh, things were too testy with a number of his teammates, but um, he's one of those guys that can bring a lot of physicality and i wonder if we against a different opponent we see him play a bit with a more of a nastier edge mm-hmm. maybe a hard first team game back against calgary and, and i'm not saying he wasn't physical like he he did his thing but, but, we, but we haven't seen the full nikita zadorov experience and that also comes with some chaotic play at times but i do think there's a level of physicality he can bring that we didn't really see him uh, impose as much tonight but also, he's just trying to get up to speed of, of like where to be. Because well, that's why it was a part of physicality yeah. is being in the right spot and 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 knowing when to be aggressive and and step out from your position and try to lay a hit. If if you're just kind of get your bearings straight, it's uh, I, I thought it was a good debut for him. Yeah, uh, I thought so as well. Tavi says, "I'm waiting for Zadorov to tell the media. I'll tell you that for free." <laughs> 
So, all right. Uh, great stuff as always on the text inbox, but it is now time to turn it over to the man we call the triple threat. You watch him on TV, you read him on digital, you hear him on radio. He is Ian McIntyre, and he's brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. I feel like he has the door off. There's some entry music. Has has the town ever been more excited about a fifth or sixth defenseman joining the team? Uh, a big physical defenseman? No, because there was trepidation around Philip Aronik. Wait, so no, I, I said I said a big fifth or sixth defenseman. Oh yes. <laughs> I mean, people sad. People have been more excited. Yes. Than, than I would say <laughs> than just Nikita Zadorov acquisition, but. I'm saying for the role, for the role that he's going to occupy, people are pretty excited. But I think they also understand, as we all do, that you know the the way the Canucks had been going, and everything that uh, Rick Talkett had been saying about his defense and playing time for the top guys, this is a really important acquisition for them. And and I agree. I think it was a, I don't think it was a spectacular uh, game for him by any means. He didn't. I don't think he was even credited with a hit. But it seemed a pretty pretty solid low event game for him, and I think the Canucks would love another fifty five of those. I'm trying to think of a five six D man uh, in a trade that people would have been pumped about. Lucas Krychek. <laughs> no. <laughs> throw into the Luongo trade. Hey, people were psyched about that trade. Uh, people, I don't. I don't. That's not my recollection <laughs> of the aftermath of that trade. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of any other ones. I, I'm sure there would be. Yeah. I'm sure there would be. I mean, let, people love love the team so much. They're so passionate. Everyone's always excited about it. Oh yeah. I remember. I remember writing a story, and I can't even remember. Uh, you know wh- what really the story was about, but there was so so many media, and this was at a practice in Burnaby, and all of a sudden there was a, a huge commotion, and. I described it as as like you know twelve seagulls and one French fry, and the big commotion was that Aaron Rome came out to talk. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, people love people love their hockey team, and we and you know what? Where would we be if they didn't? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, and, and honestly, Ian, when the team, I know sometimes people say, "Well, the media loves being negative because that drives more clicks." You know what drives the most clicks? Wins. And yeah. this Canucks team this year winning is really generating far more interest. And honestly, that, that's what makes uh, a lot of these things fun and more intriguing because people feel like this Canucks team has a chance to be a playoff team this year and, and be fairly competitive. Yeah, and, and I'd, I would agree with you about the, the negativity because that's one thing about uh, digital media and, and especially when you're on social media and you can see what the reaction is. Uh, to stories, there's a lot more people who read when things are going well and they're excited about the team than there are uh, when things are going badly. So if you think that some people skew negatively, I don't think they're doing it uh, for the clicks. They're just doing it because that's you know how they're wired. Uh, all right, so what's your uh, primary takeaway out of this game where Sam Lafferty gets a bump up and he produces and Mikheyev produces and Patterson gets a goal? Um, was it about that line or is there, is there something else that stood up for you? No, I think it was, uh, I think it was more, 
it was kind of a dull road game. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. even so, even so the score at the end, it was close and the Canucks never led by more than two, but I thought it was the kind of game that they needed after not just the loss in, uh, against Vegas, but they've had, they've had a bunch of games recently where not only have they not been their best, but they haven't looked particularly focused. You know, they haven't looked uh, particularly reliable. And tonight wasn't their best, but they looked focused. They looked, you know, determined to do the right thing, to be in the right place. And I thought they played a, uh, a really good road game. And, you know, let's, it's only game 25, but let's realize that the points that are won or lost now are the same value as the ones in April. And much like the Friday win in Seattle that pushed the Kraken farther back, this was still significant for the Canucks to beat Calgary, who have been playing much better since their dreadful start. In fact, they've been playing better than the Canucks the last two weeks for sure. Uh, that was important to to win and, and you know climb back 10 points ahead of them, put them a little further back in the division race. And I also think it, it's important because the Canucks have all these home games coming up now. They had this one road game on the docket uh, during the stretch. They they got not only got through it, they they won. They played, I think, a solid road game. So it was it was an important night. It just wasn't one where we're going to uh, be talking about all the style points and and uh, the memorable moments from the game like we might. Uh, towards the end of this year, because this is a pretty dynamic team, and we've seen uh, some pretty spectacular stuff already from from Hughes and Miller and Pedersen and Demko. So there's going to be lots to that people will remember uh, about specific plays and moments and goals and games. I'm not sure tonight's going to be one of them, mm-hmm. but uh, they might remember at the end of the year, depending on where the teams finish, that they they beat Calgary when Calgary was on. A little bit of a roll, and the Canucks were scuffling. You know how we talk about this team against better opponents so far this season, at least the last few games against good opponents, and we saw it against Vegas. They haven't been quite up to par, and they've struggled to really keep pace. One thing they've done a good job of, and this reminded me pregame of the opportunity they had uh, in Seattle against the Kraken. The Kraken had just beat them the last game on home ice, and that's, that was one of those games that if the Seattle Kraken had won, that gap would have been six points, and then with the game in hand, maybe it could have been four. You could have given away a lot of your cushion in that game, and the Canucks came out, played a strong, had a strong performance, took over in the third, and they won that game. And tonight against Calgary, I don't think it was as clean maybe in the third as it was against the Seattle Kraken, but yet again, a game where where if Calgary wins, the gap goes to six, you have a game in hand, maybe it's four, and the Canucks push that up to 10 again. I think that did show a good mentality and response to keep at least the teams below them at bay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I kind of just said that, but thanks for reiterating. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I also think that the difference between the opponent is that Calgary is in form, you know, such as, such as that is. You know, they're going to be, even if they're successful in, in climbing back and, and the playoff race is, is, you know, really pedestrian again at this stage of the year in the Western Conference. So no one's, I mean, there's not many teams that you can say are out of it. But uh, Calgary was in a lot better form than what Seattle uh, has really been in. Like, But maybe, you know, Seattle's had a couple of dud games since the Vancouver game. So maybe... 
maybe that it was it's just a little dip for them but it, i didn't think the kraken were good at all in that game against vancouver i thought vancouver was was much better i didn't think the kraken deserved to be in that game at the end uh the way they had played on home ice and the canucks did you're right they they did dominate them in the third period i think it was a lot different with calgary tonight like calgary you know they they were pushing and you know they have had success i think they were 6-2 and 1 in their previous nine and of course they've beaten vancouver they that was one of the things that helped uh speed uh, or or you know i was going to say speed the turnaround I, I don't know that they've really turned around but it kind of changed changed their course from the dreadful start is when they beat beat the canucks in in middle of november i think in calgary so uh, I think Calgary was uh, uh, a much more difficult opponent tonight than what the Kraken were last Friday. But you're right in that, you know, regardless of what what the form chart said about the Canucks and, and who they've lost to and which games that, you know, they wish that they had played better, uh, it was significant tonight that they beat Calgary, significant last Friday that they beat Seattle. When we've seen moments of accountability from Rick Tockett, most notably the, the one we've seen this season was JT Miller kind of sitting out for four minutes and, and, and they get the win and we say, hey, well done. And then we see Kuzmenko stay out two games and they lose. It's like, oh, that's a tough decision. You know, Quinn Hughes is out on the ice for that 3-2 goal and then he gets one shift in the final 421 of the game. Uh, now, look, they get the win and all that. Is, it's fantastic. But w- w- when you look for those moments, uh, w- you know, is, is is it daring in, in a moment like that for, for Rick Tockett to do something like that? No, I don't think so. And that's different. Like, hopefully nobody thinks that was like a a moment of accountability that somehow the coach was displeased with with Quinn Hughes because I'm sure that's that's not it. I think well, no, Juleson got is, two shifts in the final in the same stretch. Yeah. Well, they they use Juleson to kill penalties. I'm not saying it's it's mm-hmm. right or not, but but you shouldn't be surprised by that pick because Juleson kills penalties. He plays in defensive situations. I know that Hughes has been killing penalties as well, but. The fact that they have just acquired Zadorov and they have this new pairing, and we'll see, you know, how it goes. It was a very positive start. I'd say that's one of the most positive things tonight is how how Zadorov and Myers perform together. Um, but you know, they have this new pairing, and clearly, it's intended to to uh, you know be a stopper, you know, to to go out and defend and protect leads. We know that Ian Cole has the same role. So there's three guys that they're obviously going to use. And, and then they had decided just to keep Juleson with, with Cole. And the other thing, if you go back and look, there's about 43 face-offs in the last three minutes. So it's not like anybody was tired or that there had to be any flow because they were, they seemed to be playing about 12 seconds at a time and then they'd stop and, and and reset. So uh, no, I don't I don't at all view it as Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronick were being accountable because they've been their best they've been their best players. Now they were you know, they this wasn't their best night. Um you know, but Hughes still scored a goal. I think what we're seeing is is that Rick Tockett has been telling us 
for days now, uh, long before even Bobilier was traded to make room for Zadorov, been telling us that he's worried about overplaying his top guys, and we've been seeing them playing playing too much. You know what was what was Talkett's quote just a couple of days ago, where he said at the end of each game, Adam Foot looks at him, and goes, "Oh my God," was, you know, because they start out each game with the intention that that Hughes and Roenick should play in the low twenties, and they end up in the high twenties. So tonight, Hughes played. 22 and I think it was 22 and change. I don't have it in front of me. And, and Ronick played 21 and change. And the other three guys were, I think Myers was 22 and the other three guys were all in the 17s. And I think that's, I'm not saying it's ideal that they want to suppress Hughes's ice time by any means, but I think if they could go from here to the end of the season where Hughes and Ronick are averaging 24 minutes, instead of like the 26 or 7 that they've been averaging since Susie went out before the Zadorov trade. Uh, and they have their fifth and sixth guys playing 17 instead of 10 or 11, which has been the case for the sixth guy for a while. I think they'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that. And uh, I think we'll, we'll see more of Nikita Zadorov on Tuesday when... The Hughes brothers have a showdown. Quinn Hughes versus his two brothers, Jack Hughes and Luke Hughes. And the Devils have been scuffling. So another good matchup and two hungry teams coming up on Tuesday. And Ian, it's always a pleasure having you on the post game show. We look forward to chatting with you and seeing you in person on Thursday. But before all that, we'll read your latest on sportsnet.ca. All right. Well, I'll look forward to talking to you guys. And it's interesting how suddenly this homestand sets up because it looked a bit like a murderer's row when the season began, but Minnesota's just fired a coach. Carolina hasn't really got full liftoff yet, but they're always tough. Tampa's in a dreadful tailspin at the moment. Yes, yes. And then there's Florida, which looks really good. It'll be the Oliver Ekman-Larsen tribute night. Oh, yeah, that's right. We'll get a video tribute, I'm sure, for Oliver Ekman Larson. So uh, uh, I'm sure they will give him a little ovation. You know, I'm they, sure. should. they should. They should. They should. He'll get something. You know, they paid him, so they'll give him something as well. As a good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ian, exactly. yeah, great stuff as always, my friend. Look forward to chatting with you again very soon. All right. Good night, fellas. You got it. That is Ian McIntyre. Uh, and this insider was brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite and find them together online at DLEAMC.com. That brings us to the end of the show. He's Bick Nazar. I'm Satyar Shah. Thanks to Fast Eddie Gregory and all of you for interacting, texting in, calling in, listening, and partaking as always. We look forward to being back on the postgame show on Tuesday with the Canucks take on the Devils. But we'll be back on Canucks Central on Monday and Bick on the People show on Monday as well. Have a good evening right here on Sportsnet 650.